Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. We have a neat opportunity this morning to have John Leitzel, a brother, friend in Christ, fresh back with his family. They, they've just returned from Africa at the beginning of November, and we're excited to have them back and to hear what they have for us this morning. Thanks, Brian. I, I phoned Brian up the other day, and we, we hadn't spoken in a while. He answered the phone, and I'm Say, Mamuka say Baba, you know, and he says, Hi, John, <laughs> and greets me back. But it is a joy for us to be with you. But you should also be aware that there are a number of churches in Zimbabwe, in particular, that pray for Mercy Hill. Because when Johnny and Brian were with us in Zimbabwe in May, they brought such a great deposit and representation of Jesus on your behalf that they still talk about it there in Zimbabwe. So greetings from your family in Southern Africa, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. And this church has invested in such beautiful ways to bless your brothers and sisters in Zambia and Zimbabwe. And the guys have asked if we'd just share a little bit uh, to catch you up on some of what you've sown and what's grown up from the blessing that you've been there as well. And so Karen, Elizabeth, could you just stand up and make sure everybody sees and knows who you are. This is Karen, our older daughter, Elizabeth. Sarah, uh, you would not have missed her, but she's downstairs uh, tearing up the Sunday school with everybody else down there as well. Um, But you are part of a larger family of churches. You're probably aware of Living Word, Cross Point, Hope Church just started. You guys sent some people to be part of that congregation. But this family of churches that we call LifeLink or well, everywhere else in the world, we call it Global Horizons. So if you hear me saying Global Horizons and you're not used to that phrase, it's just what we call LifeLink everywhere else in the world. So turn to somebody and say Global Horizons, all right? There we go. Well done, Travis. That was good. And, and so you're connected to this family and they speak many languages we got lots of skin colors in whether it's Southern Africa or South America or India or even in China as well. And so my family, next slide, Ethan, thank you, uh, has been in the southern part of Africa. We've been living in Zambia for the last two years, but also traveling across the border into Zimbabwe quite a bit. Next slide. And this group of churches, what we are connected to in all these other parts of the world kind of comes into three categories of things. One thing that we're involved in doing is strengthening existing church leaders and helping their cooperations. We're not colonialists. We don't come in and and take over, but we're family. And so where we can help the family, that's exactly what we're doing. And a particular mandate that we had in our time in Africa was to raise up and help strengthen some developing apostolic networks, a cooperation across Zambia and Zimbabwe, between about half a dozen different church networks that all relate to Global Horizons. Um, One major part of that is leadership training. And so I was helping to reinvent and restructure a pastor's college into a more accessible training mechanism, training arm for this apostolic teamwork so that we would be able to take training out into rural areas, make it more accessible to leaders who had less education or who didn't even speak English. And then thirdly, 
uh, all this family of churches we're part of, it, we've got to care about the poor. It's just dear to the heart of the Lord. And so wherever we can, there's ways of providing humanitarian assistance. And in Southern Africa, AIDS has just driven a bulldozer through the population. There are a lot of orphans. And, and so our network of churches helps with orphan care, education, and so on. Uh, and my wife, Karen, is a medical doctor. And so she was uh, providing medical care, everything from being the village doctor wherever we were to doing brain surgery for children with birth defects. So next slide. Just a little snapshot. I think Brian and John had showed you some slides uh, back in May, but some of you may not even have been part of the church then. Um, it's a little different than Munster. Uh, living in, in Lusaka. Uh, there's just the cities are full, crowded. There's a migration from rural areas into urban areas. And so the cities are congested and bustling. Uh, outside our church in Lusaka is a garbage dump that's on fire all the time. And actually, um, no, it's on fire all the time. And uh, it's just, it's a kind of rough area that's there. But just on the other side of that, you go another block, there's a brand new Jaguar dealership. Uh, you can be fighting your way through traffic, wheelbarrows and pedestrians everywhere, and they've put up giant video billboards, which are you know, a, a ha- definite traffic hazard. So you have so many contrasts between modern and underdeveloped. You have 13-some million people in Zambia, Uh, most living in the cities in densely packed neighborhoods without basic services like sewage or or running water. And yet you have um, Samsung flat screen televisions available at the mall. So the contrasts really catch you. Uh, Next slide, Ethan. Uh, So you never know what you're going to see on the road, right? Because if you can can buy a refrigerator, how do you get it where you're going? You strap it to the trunk of of your Corolla uh, as you go and so on. Uh, Next slide, Ethan. Thanks. Um, You get out of the city and it's a different world all over again. Because out in the rural areas, you you maybe are carrying your water half a mile or, or a mile from the well in a jug on your head. Uh, that upper right-hand photo is in the village area where you helped put the roof on a church building. That's Nahuboy Village in the Teshi Teshi area. And, and the people uh, were willing to love us. We just worked on, on fitting in together as family. But as we're connecting and interacting with folks, it, it was particularly great how our children just participated and plugged in. There is not an age requirement before you can start serving the Lord. There really isn't. What's going on downstairs, as Brian was saying, it's the real deal. Uh, the kids downstairs, they're not spectators. They're not, it isn't child care until we, you know, until later they can learn about Jesus. They're not learning about Jesus right now. And they're just as much a part of the body of Christ as we are upstairs here. Next slide. Um, so what Karen was doing, uh, really, Okay, I'm so proud of her. I, I just want to brag and tell you how great it is. But the greatness of what she was doing is in a tragic context. Uh, because Karen was day after day dealing with birth defects that we almost never see in a medical practice here in the U.S. And so she was volunteering in a specialty hospital doing a lot of neurology and neurosurgery for kids with what we call neural tube defects, um, and then post-infectious scarring, so 
large swollen heads with a lot of pressure on the brain from hydrocephalus, spina bifida, uh, and a variety of other sorts of problems. Uh, little Kebby here in the upper left um, has, uh, was born with a hole in his skull right here so that the brain was protruding out. And so there's so many of these difficulties. And Karen just did a, a marvelous work of not only providing very much-needed medical intervention and surgery, but really bringing the love of God into families in a context where if your baby is born and isn't perfect, the mom's under tremendous pressure to just make the baby disappear. Uh, because if you have a problem, you're viewed as being a bad luck wife, a bad luck mama. Uh, your husband may put you away if you don't put the baby away. With the prevalence of witchcraft and superstition as well, there's a lot of accusations that you've been involved on the wrong side of the spirit realm, and now it's, it's coming back. And so just bringing the love of Jesus as well as hope for these families was a really big deal. Ah, yes. Um, there are two Zambian neurosurgeons. One, two. And one has been pulled largely into administration. And so Karen was working with the active Zambian neurosurgeon, um, and, and now that she's returned, we've just cut in half the number of doctors who can do some of these procedures. Um, so next slide. So um, again, more of the, the babies that Karen's worked with. Um, if, you, if you're medically interested or if you want to know or more about that, feel free to, to grab Karen here as we finish the service because uh, it's an area where the heart of Jesus is very close to the needy, the poor, and especially children. Uh, and there is some beautiful work that's going on. She's really changed a lot of lives. Next slide. Uh, we go out in the rural area, and, and once again, uh, it's just whatever comes with medical needs. And Karen would uh, see patients until uh, it's well into dark and the translator is tired and, uh, and calls it quits. Okay, in the other area, next slide, Ethan, thank you. Uh, the area that Brian and John and I were working on together was leadership development and catalyzing cooperation between church leaders, both in Zambia and in Zimbabwe. Uh, I believe many of you guys will know the, our dear friend in the blue shirt, third from the left there, or right, depending on which way you're facing, uh, Richard Banda. He was right here in July. How many were here when Richard was with us? Amen. Uh, Richard and, and his wife Agnes send you their love and their greetings. Uh, in mid-October, uh, Richard and Agnes came over to our home for dinner, and Agnes, well, I should back up. If you weren't here, uh, Agnes is paralyzed on her left side due to uh, a brain tumor. Significant operation. Actually, the neurosurgeon Karen was working with had done the operation on her. When we met Agnes three years ago, she was in a terrible way just really a terrible way. Didn't have her memory, could barely speak, and she has been progressively experiencing a restoration. And since Richard was here, things have again taken another step for the better, uh, very noticeably. And so when they came over to our home, which, was, which is not uncommon, we'd, we'd have them over, but this was significant for us because she got herself out of the car. And she's working hard, she's believing God. Please continue praying. For Agnes, shortly after she was, uh, sorry, Richard was here, uh, the church relocated to start meeting at the campus of the Bible College where we were, and Agnes was able to start coming back to church, which she hadn't done for three and a half years. 
So it's the goodness of God. And uh, they love you. They appreciate you. While, while Richard was here, we were showing Agnes photos and visiting her to keep her connected. And she just prays. She just really gives herself to the Lord and prays very well. Um, and so uh, it's a great team of leaders. These guys are leading networks of churches, and they have chosen to lay down their independence and self-sufficiency and sort of territorialism to serve and help one another and build something that's bigger than their own individual kingdoms. Uh, next slide. And with that has been the training initiatives that we've tried to help facilitate. That's where Johnny and, and Brian were teaching in Harare in the capital in Zimbabwe. And then we went out to the rural area together as well. And those initiatives are bearing fruit because what these guys modeled when they came now is being imitated and implemented by the Zimbabwean leaders themselves. And that's what, that's what it's really about. It's not about myself or Johnny or Brian or you doing some marvelous great thing yourself. It's how do we help unlock other people so they can do it also. Do you see what I'm saying? Thank you. Because you're really quiet compared to what I'm used to. Amen. Um, okay. And next slide. The, okay. Um, the distance from Lusaka, where the little A is, down to Harare in Zimbabwe is just like driving from here to Columbus, Ohio, uh, but it's a much different experience doing that. Uh, I put this slide up just to help you see that the, uh, the churches that you're connected with run right up to the topmost corner uh, in the corner of Angola and the Congo DR uh, up in northwest Zambia, right? You see how there's like one brown road? That's, that's pretty accurate. There's one paved road that comes down through here to Lusaka, keeps coming down through here. We're connected with churches right along that whole strip, and right up here was where John and Brian came in May. Pretty remote area. Um, let's see if we can go ahead and put that video up that we had. I want to share with you a co- two short, short videos from the dedication of the church building in Atejiteji, where you took the offering to help put the roof on. It's a big deal because the people of the village and church members from Lusaka had been going out. They had started, when I say build a church, I'm talking about people, not the building. So they'd established a church. A church was growing and being built, but they didn't have a building to meet in. And so they had started, they baked their own bricks, put put a brick building up. But because they didn't have a roof, the rain was starting to wear it out. And Mercy Hill stepped in a year ago. Uh, No, before that, it was like 18 months ago, took up an offering and the roof went up, the roof went on, and they made it through that rainy season a year ago. Uh, But they weren't willing to dedicate the building officially until it was plastered and painted and inside. And so it was the church in Lusaka that finished that work, going out to the village, getting it done. So then we had this big celebration, dedication weekend. It wasn't a service. It was a three-day conference. And people were hiking in from other villages. It was a big deal. And and so if you're going to have a big worship celebration, you've got to have microphones and amplification in people's minds. That's what makes it go up a level. And in the village, there's no no electricity. Uh, And so it's really special if folks come from the city and we got, we got a generator out there, 
but the generator had no fuel tank. And so you're siphoning in some fuel, and it's going to just go off at random moments. And what I want you to see was, uh, you know, it's, it's into the night, it's dark, but the place, this, this building is just packed, and we're just worshiping the Lord. And the generator goes out, and nobody misses a beat. Nothing changes. You can't see anybody. You can't see anything. People are pulling out their cell phones to put a little light up because you're in the middle of the bush. There's no electricity, no plumbing, but everybody's got a cell phone. There's no way to charge it. Seriously. There's no way everybody you know, was bringing their cell phones to plug them into the generator to have a way to charge them you know, while we were there. Everybody has a cell phone. You can get cell phone service in rural Zimbabwe, and there's no way to charge your phone. So people's phones will go dead for two weeks until they go somewhere where they can charge it. But they've got a phone. And, um, and so are we ready? Can we fire up that little video? So the lights went out. But why should we stop singing and celebrating and serving the Lord? Oh, they got the generator back on. But if you had your eyes closed, you, you wouldn't notice. Because worship does not depend on the props. Hello? Amen? Worship does not depend on the equipment. Worship is our response to a living Savior named Jesus. Amen? Uh, and and uh, on the Sunday, we, we, had, yeah, we have choirs. Yeah, and, and many of the traditional choirs, they don't use microphones, musical instruments, or anything. You know, they've got a 10-finger musical instrument and maybe some drums. And, and your whole body is part of, of worshiping. And so on the Sunday morning of the celebration, the village church themselves had their choir going. It wasn't just the folks coming in from the city and the visitors. Uh, and so uh, we have a saying, uh, well, they, I guess I'm back in the U.S. now. Um, but there's a saying that says, yeah, a woman is never old when she knows the dance. I mean, if you know the song, you're young again. Okay, so we'll play this next one. Being elderly is very respected and it, it's remarkable because in Zambia, the, the average life expectancy is age 40. How many here are, are over 40? Oh, it's this half. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, and so... The, to, have, to have the woman in the church who's 80, it, it's a big deal. But as the choir is singing, she's, she's coming up. She, she's got a dance to bring. Listen, it, just like we were, I was saying earlier, you're not too young to serve the Lord. You're never too old to give your best to Jesus. Amen? Never too old to give your best to Jesus. Don't stop giving Jesus your best. Whether you feel you have everything you need and it's all working right, or whether the power goes off and there's no plumbing, keep serving Jesus. Keep praising him. Keep giving him your best. Whether your body doesn't work like it used to and and you've got more aches and pains than you have parts that seem to work right, don't let it stop you from responding to Jesus. Amen? Can you turn to John chapter 12? John chapter 12, verse 1 says, Six days, oh, 
Oh, it's nice to see some paper Bibles. I was starting to think, because we've just been back in the States for a few weeks. I'm used to saying, open your Bible. I'm realizing you have to say here, turn on your Bible, you know, <laughs> because I'm seeing all the electronic things going. But All right, old-fashioned paper Bibles here. Six days before the Passover. That's a significant little statement here because it's setting a context for us about what's about to happen saying what's about, what we're about to read, what's about to happen, this episode that's going on here, it's in the shadow of something that's about to come, which is the crucifixion. That Jesus is on his way to the cross. Jesus has come down from heaven, the very Son of God, born on earth, and he's living a perfect life in obedience to God, healing those who are oppressed of the devil, and he's about to go give his life for our sins to give himself as a sacrifice on the cross so that you and I can be reconciled with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Six days before the Passover is a heads up for us. It's recognizing this is what's coming. The crucifixion is ahead. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. If you've got your Bible open, who lived there? Uh, Whose hometown was, was Bethany? What's there? Arrived at Bethany where... Lazarus. Who is this Lazarus guy? It's still in that verse. You got, it's just open notes. It's right there. Jesus raised him from the dead. I, that's, do you notice? That's like Lazarus' claim to fame now. You know? Who is it? Lazarus. Which, oh, that Lazarus. Right? Uh, it used to be, Lazarus means leper. Hello? Uh, that's what his name means. And so he previously was known for what was wrong with him. Now he's known for what Jesus has done in his life. Anyone else here like that? I am. Jesus has gotten a hold of my life. I'm so thankful for Jesus that I now can be known because of what Jesus has done in my life, not because of who I used to be. That's a wonderful Savior we have. Um, verse 2 says, here a dinner was being given in Jesus's honor. Martha served. Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then verse 3 tells us something pretty inappropriate happened. Because while the kitchen work is going on and Jesus is teaching and people are listening to him, it says in verse 3, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. Do you know how big a pint is? Do you have a visual for that? It's like a water bottle here. 500 mils. Mary took a 500 mil bottle of perfume and did what? She she, she dumped it out. She poured it on Jesus right there in the house. It says, poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And and you you get the eyewitness feel of John's account of it because he says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Yeah, You know when you go into the mall here and you have to walk through the cosmetic and perfume section, your eyes can start to water? Does that happen to anybody? You know, if you're a little sensitive to it, like, hey, a little bit is enough when it comes to perfume, right? And 
there's such a thing as too much. And you get to too much pretty quickly with perfume. Ladies, you learn that, right? Somebody teaches you that. Uh, You know, some places, well, like on a bus in, in Africa, you can find that trying to substitute for bathing with perfume, it becomes too much very quickly. And let me just tell you something. This much is too much in the room. It's, it's almost like a bit of chemical warfare just happened there. You know, maybe it's tear gas-ish, but there is no mistaking this. She overdid it. Is that true? Amen, it's true. Uh, it was much more than necessary. The dinner was already being given in Jesus' honor. Then why'd she have to go do all that? You see, I want us to look here now at two different responses to how Mary poured out her best for Jesus. Because everyone's reacting right now. There's no way to pretend it didn't happen. Just look the other way. You can't get away from it. It is conspicuous. It's conspicuous excess. And it's embarrassing. Everyone, she's just interrupted whatever else was going on. And there's no ignoring it. Now, in the text here, we see there's two different responses to what happened. Let's look at the first of these, verses 4 through 6. One of the disciples, which one? Which Judas is this? Judas Iscariot, what's he known for? Who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't something better done with such a valuable thing? Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. You just blew 35 grand. Isn't there something better you could have done with something so valuable instead of wasting it like that? You know, the critic's perspective can sound so reasonable. It sounds so reasonable. And, and if you start really giving yourself for Jesus, start giving and living your life in a way that costs you something, it's going to seem unreasonable. And the voice of the critic comes to sound so rational, so wise, so reasonable. But here's what it's missing. It's missing God's heart. Something missing about the heart of God there. You know, it's this perspective of of waste. What a waste. How wasteful, how unwise it was. It calls on our regrets. Look, some some of us, you've done things for Jesus. And if it hasn't turned out in the way you expected, it's tempted to wonder whether it was just a waste to have done that. But let's read this next verse. It says that Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor. But why did he say that? What's your Bible say? It says, because he was a thief. He used to help himself to what was in the money bag. A lot of the wise-sounding reasonableness is just camouflaging self-interest that's at its heart. There is 
a way of withholding from Jesus that sounds so reasonable, but it's really motivated by self-interest, not worship. Are you getting what I'm saying here? That there is such a temptation to withhold from Jesus. And we like to think we're being wise, but really we're holding back for self-interest. You know, there's all kinds of things, times where many of us, even in this room, where we've had an impulse or prompting maybe to give financially or to go spend time helping and serving and ministering in a particular way for somebody who needed it. And we talked ourselves out of it because it didn't seem wise and we thought, here's something better I can do with that instead. And we never followed through on our so-called better idea. And the danger is we can find ourselves agreeing with Judas instead of with Jesus. Look at what Jesus, how does Jesus respond? It's a completely different perspective than Judas's. Verse 7 has Jesus' reply. Jesus says this, Leave her alone. Does Jesus rebuke her? for what she's done? Hello? No, Jesus doesn't. Who who does Jesus rebuke? Her critics. I I, I put it in the plural. John's gospel here singles out Judas, but we read in Mark's gospel that the other disciples were joining in as well. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Why did she do that? What a waste. Why did she do it that way? And that voice of, that sounds so reasonable can so influence us. You may not be a thief, but you may be talked out of doing for Jesus what Jesus really deserves because it doesn't sound reasonable. Are you getting that? And Jesus has such a different perspective. He rebukes her critics, not her. And Jesus says this, it was intended that she save this for the day of my burial. Uh, some of you have an English Standard Version to say, yeah, she was to keep it for the day of my burial. And here's the, here's the reality. Brothers and sisters, please get this. God has given us things. And the purpose of that is so I can give it to Jesus. The reason I have it is so I can give it away. The reason I have it is so I can pour it out on Jesus. There's nothing better I can do with it than pour it out for Jesus. You know, many of us, we, we've got all kinds of things and we, we're not fulfilled. We've got houses full of stuff. We're moving things into storage units or trying to pull them out pull them out of the crawl space or out of the shed. It's Christmas time. We're going to get decorations. We have, to, we have to move our things to get at our things to bring them out. And somehow we're still not satisfied by it. Some of it is we're holding on to things that we were intended to give away. It was intended that she keep it for me. Not for herself, not for some other purpose, but for the cross. Brothers and sisters, everything God's given us is intended to be poured out because of the cross. It's what it's for. 
That's why I have my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my stuff, my money, my time. Who's it for? It's for Jesus. Why did he give it to me? It's so I can pour it out for him. Brothers and sisters, it's from Jesus and it's for Jesus. May I challenge you? Stop withholding what was intended for you to give to him. Jesus is worth it all. He is. He's worth all of it. How much of the perfume did, Jesus, did she pour out? Yeah, half a quart. Real good, real good though. Um, there's a simple way. It doesn't matter how many milliliters. It's just this one word, all. She poured out all of it. Right? But we know what perfume is like. Right? Just a little bit does the job. Yeah. That's enough. I'm good now. I've got enough. And many, many Christians live this way with Jesus. We, we say, okay, yeah. Get to church on Sunday. There we go. I'm good this week. Add a little home group. And I feel like I'm giving Jesus something more. And then I stop pouring. Maybe there's a special offering for needs in Africa. And I'll tip a little bit out. Tip a little more out. And then I'll save the rest for later. It wouldn't be wise to blow it all in one shot. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. You know, and the kids, they're going to be in college someday. And uh, I don't know if they're going to get a scholarship. So I better hold on to this. And we'll say, Jesus, I'll give you just enough. That's not what's going on here. She poured it all out. Listen, you guys are more concerned about the carpet than about Jesus. I even brought a bucket. <laughs> Wherever I want. <laughs> the, you know, are, are you getting what I'm saying? Because as soon as we start to give our best to Jesus, we start thinking, uh-oh, 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 I better pull back. I can't keep this up. I can't keep doing that. But he's worth it all. This is Jesus we're talking about. There's nothing better. There's no place better. Like Michelle was telling us, do you know how amazing it's going to be when we get to heaven and we're in his presence? Part of how we live for that day now is to not hold back for Jesus. She poured and she poured. And she poured. Mercy Hill, don't stop pouring. Don't stop giving. Give Jesus all your best. Your best. Here's what Jesus had to say about it. He approved. He said, this is a beautiful thing she's done. Mark's gospel says, she did what she could. God gives us opportunities to give to him. God gives us opportunities to do something for him. But I'm telling you, those opportunities are limited time opportunities. If you say, no thanks, I'll hold back, maybe later, maybe another day, that opportunity may go away. Six days before the Passover, she had a limited opportunity before Jesus was going to the cross. She did what she could. And day after day, the Lord gives you and I opportunities. It may be to participate in a birthday party 
for Jesus in a public place where you are serving and helping preschoolers and families know there's more to Christmas than photos with Santa Claus. Amen? Don't hold back. Don't miss the opportunities Jesus gives you to serve him by pouring out your best, to show him to others and make him known. Don't be ashamed of being extravagant for Jesus. Even if somebody sitting next to you in your own church tells you it's not reasonable, don't be ashamed of giving Jesus your best. She did what she could. And secondly, Jesus calls her an example, not in John's gospel, but in Mark's. Uh, He says, what she's done is going to be told wherever the gospel is preached. In Mercy Hill, you've been generous to the nations. You have been. I've had the privilege personally of communicating your generosity to people in some very poor places. You've sent brothers from among you to go extend the love of Jesus to other places. Don't pull back. Don't stop tipping out. Don't stop pouring. Keep giving, serving the poor here in this region and around the world. It's not a waste. Don't get discouraged. Give yourself to what Jesus says is beautiful. Amen? Amen? Now, we were talking about the cross. I I don't know if we think this way. I, I think we usually don't. But Jesus didn't just drip a few drops of his own blood. He poured out his life unto death, the Bible says. He humbled himself. He wasn't obedient just partway, but to death, to death on the cross. And we celebrate communion to recognize that Jesus paid it all. He gave all of his life, all of his blood, and he paid all of our debts. Through faith in Christ, all of our debt is cleansed. Now, you may be here this morning and you've never said, Jesus, I need you to forgive me too. Because we can sing songs and come to church and still have missed this critical transaction of personal surrender, of saying, Jesus, my life is yours. And I want to invite you this morning, whether you've never done that before and it's the first time, or whether it's something you've done years ago, or whether it was even earlier this morning, she said, Jesus, take all of me. That's what we do just now as we're sharing communion together. Because we come and Jesus says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And the same way after supper, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, hey, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood. As we participate in communion, we're saying, Jesus, take all of me. I receive all that you are as well. Brian, do you want to lead us? Thank you.